Good morning. Welcome to the secular feast day of daylight savings time, which precedes the most dangerous driving days of the year. So we have turned our clocks back, at least America, an hour. And if you are driving anywhere Monday morning, and actually, presumably, you'll be driving somewhere today, Sunday morning, please use some caution on the road. It is the most dangerous driving day of the year because the uh, turning clocks back thing is actually incredibly dangerous and a stupid thing which our government does, but that's where we are. They nearly abolished it a year ago, but uh, I guess for whatever reason, they decided not to. And so here we are doing it yet again. So please exercise caution on the roads tomorrow. It is literally the most dangerous driving day of the year, not counting weather conditions. That having been said, we have a interesting letter from Archbishop Vigano that we will get to here shortly. I have it pre-recorded for you, and then we're going to discuss something else that happened, which is a secular story that got reported, and people post a little bit about it on social media. And I say secular story because it represents a absolute failure on the part of a of a parish priest and, I guess, the bishop of a particular diocese and preventing a parish from being misused for absolutely evil purposes. And we'll come talk about that story right after we talk about Archbishop Vigano. So... He issued a letter yesterday for the feast of St. Charles Borromeo. St. Charles Borromeo was one of the counter-Reformation saints. You know, it's kind of odd if you're the product of uh, American or English or, I guess, Canadian education. You don't hear much about the counter-Reformation. We hear a lot about the Reformation, but not the counter-Reformation. But the counter-Reformation was the effort by the Catholic Church to actually, of course, institute actual reforms that were necessary at the time, but most importantly, to push back and retake Christendom from the schismatics and the heretics, and mostly were successful. If you look at where the uh, Protestant schisms and heresies had taken root across uh, Europe at their peak, there wouldn't be pretty much a Catholic church today in any meaningful way if, uh, if the Counter-Reformation hadn't been divinely ordained, because it clearly was divinely ordained. St. Charles Borromeo did a number of things. He assisted with the development of the uh, the decrees of Pius V regarding the liturgy, which also helped with the suppression of a lot of, uh, we'll call them novus ordos of the day, for the and they made permanent of the traditional Latin mass, as we call it now, the Tridentine Rite, as the formal mass of the church of the Latin West, a form of the liturgy that actually goes predates St. Pius V by millennia. But there we are. Uh, when he issued Quo Primum, which is the document I'm referencing here, it banned any new form of the liturgy, basically. If anything younger than 200 years old, it was immediately abolished. Because there was a problem at the time with a lot of bishops just writing their own liturgies. <laughs> For whatever reason, they did that. They were able to do that. And Pius V put an end to that. Charles, uh, St. Charles Borromeo was apparently involved in some of that work, as well as a lot of other actual reforms in Rome that were much needed at the time. And we have... Today, Archbishop Vigano issuing a letter talking about St. Charles Borromeo. Remember, he is a reforming saint. And this letter is incredible because, of course, he it's about what would happen if essentially Charles, uh, St. Charles Borromeo had fallen into the spirit of the age. And then he starts listing off all these things he would do that were all the exact things that the Synod of Sin was doing and that Francis is doing. So we're going to kick into gear here with the... For with this letter, I had to break it into two parts because it's just 
a minute too long basically for me to upload in one piece here so here we go with part one of the letter of archbishop vigano on feast of saint charles borromeo which was yesterday vigano's homily for the feast of saint charles borromeo november written november 1st 2023 we celebrate the feast of saint charles borromeo cardinal archbishop of milan confessor of the faith patron of the city and of the Ambrosian Diocese, a saint who, like all the saints proclaimed by the Church before the conciliar revolution, would today be fingered as divisive, intolerant, and fundamentalist by the tenant of St. Santa Marta, believed to be the successor of those popes who wanted this great prelate in Rome first as a member of the Holy Office and Secretary of State, under his uncle Pius IV and then as a consultor to the Tridentine Council, an executor of the reform enacted at the end of the 16th century, St. Pius V reigning. He was president of the Commission of Theologians appointed by the Pope to draft the Catechismus Romanus, the Roman Catechism, together with such great figures of the Catholic Reformation as St. Peter Canisius, St. Turbius of Malgravio, and St. Robert Bellarmine. He worked on the revision of the Missal, the breviary, and sacred music. He was involved in the founding of seminaries, an eminently Tridentine institution, and in the defense of holy orders, priestly celibacy, and marriage. He was a zealous pastor, munificent toward the poor and sick, implacable opponent of the Reformed and Protestant heretics, charitable and welcoming toward English Catholics, who had taken refuge in Italy to escape the persecutions of Elizabeth I. St. Charles was, in short, in his own right, a true conciliar bishop, who made himself an indefatigable promoter of the spirit of the post-council in the universal church as much as in the Ambrosian church. I imagine that, formulated in this way, this statement may arouse some astonishment, but if we pay attention to it, the role of this holy bishop with respect to the Council of Trent was analogous to that which, 400 years later, other bishops and prelates had in the council convened by John XXIII. Similarly, but of diametrically opposite design. And it is in that we can understand the difference that exists between being good pastors faithful to Christ and being mercenaries in the pay of the enemy. In this, we can see the difference between the good and faithful servant who makes use of the talents received from his Lord and the wicked servant who buries them. See Luke chapter 19, verse 22. What then constitutes the difference between St. Charles Borromeo, and together with him all the holy confessors of the faith, and the present episcopate? Charity, that is, love of God above all things, and love of neighbor for his sake. Indeed, it was the fire of charity, illuminated by faith, that animated St. Charles with apostolic zeal throughout his life. Without charity he would have left heretics in heresy, and would not have fought their errors. Without charity he would not have helped the poor, the sick, the... The, of those afflicted by the, by the scourge of the time. Without charity, he would not have provided for the formation of clerics, the discipline of priests and religious, the reform of the customs of parish priests, the decorum of the holy liturgy. Without charity, he would have asked English Catholics, in the name of inclusiveness, to dialogue with the heretical queen, a fierce enemy of the, quote, papists. Without charity, he would make us love God and his sublime truth and detest everything that obfuscates his teaching. St. Charles would not have attended the Council of Trent to define more forcefully the points of Catholic doctrine contested by Lutherans and Calvinists, but rather would have tried to smooth over any theological difference so that they would not feel excluded and judged. 
He would have marginalized good priests and faithful, accusing them of being rigid and mocking them in his writings or homilies. He would not have bothered to watch over the clergy's morality, rather promoting the unworthy to secure their complicity. That is, he would have acted like the bishops of Vatican II, or like the courtiers of Santa Marta, abandoning souls to the danger of eternal condemnation and neglecting his duties as pastor and successor of the apostles. He would have shown that he did not love God, for he who does not recognize him as he revealed himself cannot love him in his divine perfections, and he who lets even a single soul be lost away from the Lord without trying to convert it does not love his neighbor because he does not want his good but his approval, or worse, his complicity. If Borromeo had behaved in this way, he would, in short, have loved himself in the ideological projection of his church, thwarting the talents he had received. And today we would not celebrate him in the glory of the saints, but remember him in the role of the heresiarchs. Had Borromeo behaved according to the all-in, all-in tenet of Santa Marta, the souls placed by providence along his path to be saved would have been lost. If we want to have any further proof of the gulf that separates the holy pastors, and St. Charles among them, from the mercenaries who haunt the Church of Christ today, it is enough for us to imagine how he would judge the participants in the synod of synodality, and what he would say about Bergoglio's condemnation of those who, quote, merely repropose abstract formulas and schemes of the past, his call for an, quote, evolution of the interpretation of sacred scripture, of his worship of the Pacamama, of his standing Coram Sanctissimo, of the Abu Dhabi Declaration, of the alleged role of women in church government, of his willingness to abolish holy celibacy, of his admission of those who break their nuptial vows and divorcees to communion, of his blessing of James Martin Parings and the promotion of that ideology of the flesh, of his promotion of a harmful solution to the 2020 problem and his promotion of the current program for the end of this decade. That was part one, folks. We're going to jump. And we do not think that St. Charles' reaction would be an exception. There's not a single one of the saints, doctors and popes, up to and including Pius XII, who would approve of anything that is going on in the Vatican. On the contrary, all of them indiscriminately would recognize in the action of government and pseudo-magisterium of these last decades, and of the present, quote, pontificate in particular, the work of the enemy infiltrating the sacred enclosure, and would not hesitate to condemn it without appeal, and with its, its architects, just as they all condemned the errors of their time, and multiplied their effort to protect the flock entrusted to them and confirm it in the truth. Church and anti-church face each other at this apocal moment, so that the mysterium iniquitatis, the, the, mysterium in, the mystery of iniquity, that we had hitherto seen emerge episodically, and energetically fight by holy pastors, and the course of history appears in all its stark reality. On the one hand, the Church of Christ, Aces ordained, moved by charity and faith for the glory of God and the sanctification of souls and the gratuitousness of grace, semper edem, and the immutability that comes to her from her head, who is God, most perfect, and whose word is stable through the ages. On the other hand, the temple of Satan, the conciliar and synodical anti-church, whose corrupt ministers are driven by self-interest, by the thirst for power and pleasure, blinded by pride that makes them put themselves before the majesty of God and the salvation of souls, a sect of traitors and renegades who recognize no immutable principle, but who feed on impermanence, contradictions, misunderstandings, deceit, lies, and vile blackmail. 
This anti-church cannot but be inherently revolutionary, because its subversion of the divine order does not accept a priori anything eternal. And indeed, it abhors precisely insofar as it is immutable, because it cannot tamper with it, since to perfection there is nothing to add or change. The permanent revolution, a figure of the current ecclesiastical establishment, has seduced many faithful cl and, cl and clerics with the enticement of the liberal mentality and Hegelian thought, making many moderates believe that their momentary quiet life is sufficient to guarantee any impossible coexistence between tradition and revolution, merely because they are allowed to celebrate the ancient Mass in exchange for accepting compromise and not questioning Vatican II, like our elder brothers, with the priests of Baal at the time of the prophet Elijah. The Catholic adage, nothing must be changed, is not a sterile entrenchment of preconceived positions for fear of facing what is new as the false pastors infiltrating the church would have us believe. On the contrary, it expresses the serene awareness that the truth of Christ, which is Christ himself, the eternal word of the Father, Alpha and Omega, does not know the corruption of time, because it belongs to the perfection of God. Veritatis Domini Manet in Etenarm. See Psalm 116, verse 2. This is why there is not, nor can there be, any substantial change in the teaching of the church, for its magisterium is and must be that of its divine founder. And if there is ever anything the good souls require that we place in greater light, this must always and in any case consist in our own personal reformation. That is, in bringing back to the fidelity of the original form our response to the unchanging teaching of our Lord. For it is not God's eternal perfection that must adapt to our miserable mutability, but rather our unfaithfulness that must have as its model and goal conformity to God's will. Sicut in cielo et in terra. For the first time in history, in this battle between church and anti-church, the former is not only marginalized and persecuted, but also finds itself defrauded of the supreme authority of the Roman pontiff, an authority usurped and used to demolish it from the ground up, to make official a transition that began 60 years ago, ship without a helmsman in a great storm. If we did not have the promise of Christ with the non-prevalent, we would ha be led to believe that the gates of the underworld are now triumphant, but we know that the apparent victory of the enemy is the nearer the end, the greater the arrogance of those who dare to defy our Lord, and that our tribulations are the blessed earthly punishment which, with which he purifies us, putting before us the horror of the apostasy of a pope and with him of so many bishops. Let us therefore thank the divine majesty for bringing down so many tasks, behind which lost souls were hiding. Masks have fell away during the farce of the synod on synodality, and that allow us to understand how true and relevant are the words of the Lord. No one can serve two masters. Along with charity, there is always holy humility, nurture of this theological virtue. St. Charles was a truly humble man and pastor, not in divesting himself of cardinal or episcopal dignity, not in behaving or speaking crudely, slicing simplicity, not in flaunting a feigned poverty followed by photographers or kissing the hand of the great usurers of the temple, or feigning the compassion for the poor used as an ideological flag. St. Charles was humble and poor and secret, far from the eyes of the masses, where only the Lord sees the purity of our intentions and the sincerity of our hearts. Faced with the crisis that troubles Holy Church and the apostasy of the hierarchy, we must take example from what St. Charles did, and at the same time avoid doing what St. Charles avoided, a golden rule that will enable us to discern how to behave in these terrible times. This is certainly true for the faithful, but eminently for the ministers of God and religious, who can find in the great Archbishop of Milan a model of life and holiness.
a model that remains valid precisely because it has as its sole purpose the love of God and neighbor, and does not chase the spirit of the times or seek to please the prince of this world. It is what the prayer of the Mass invites us to, to perform. O God, who adorned your church with the salutary reforms wrought by St. Charles, your confessor and pontiff, grant that we may feel his heavenly protection, while on earth we may imitate his example. Amen. Signed, Carlo Maria Vigano, Archbishop. Dated November. All right, so that's the letter in part, or in the both parts of the letter. I want to shift over here to something, because bear all that in mind that lesson from that in mind as we talk about this. We have this weird story that broke from a couple days ago, and it didn't really get a lot of play other than a few people posting links to it, like on Facebook or something. So you may have seen parts of this in passing. And again, we're doing this live, so I can't put the words on the screen for you. But the headline comes from Catholic News Agency. Brooklyn Bishop appalled over music video filmed in Catholic Church will investigate. I have a basic, this should be common sense at this point. Regardless of what your your taste in secular music is, if you listen to any of it and you are care, use careful discernment, it, it should still go without saying that if you are a parish priest or a di an authority figure in a diocese and some secular musician comes to you wanting to actually film a music video in your parish, you should you should say no, unless they are a very very well known person with the diocese. And that people can personally vouch for their credentials as being unimpeachable Catholics, even if it's not necessarily up front and center in their musical work. This is something people should be aware of. That shouldn't be required. That's not rocket science. This should easily be that this, this is something that we should, that should be common sense. You shouldn't just say, oh, sure, you know. So we're going to go over this news story and then I'll read something I saw just on the chat. So it said from the article, quote, Brooklyn Bishop Robert Brennan is appalled that a church there was used to film a provocative music video, the diocese said this week, with a prelate set to investigate why the more than 100-year-old parish permitted the controversial video to be recorded on its property. A newly, a newly released music video by pop musician Sabrina Carpenter, I've never heard of her, showed the American-born singer dancing provocatively on the altar at the historic 19th century Annunciation of the Blessed Virgin Mary Church in Brooklyn. The October 31st music video of the song Feather, which has amassed more than 2 million views on YouTube, included scenes filmed both inside and outside the church. Carpenter appeared at one point in the video with no pants, while profane decorations lay atop and around the altar. The video depicted several men combating over the singer and eventually ending each other over her. Their funeral coffins appear to end up in the Catholic Church in the video. End quote. To film a music video or to do any filming inside of a church, you have to actually get permission from the parish priest and have to actually give them an outline of everything you're going to do there. You have to make it very clear what you're going to do. Now, a traditional Catholic says he saw on Twitter that the bishop blessed the church. It happened, and I would assume that would happen because the bishop isn't happy at all. And good. He shouldn't be happy that this happened. Um, Raven Ray says a post of that video appeared in a TLM group on Facebook. If somebody posted the video. Yeah, see, I'm not going to play you a clip of it because I, I, I think that crosses the line personally. But uh, I'm glad people saw that. KW says, good to see me on ACT on Friday. Yes, I was on uh, I was on Joe McLean's show, radio show Friday, uh, 
Joe McClain was out. His guest host was Michael Hitchborn. Channel patrons and channel members will get a link to that here uh, next week when I send out my weekly thing for you guys. Um, yeah, I, I think this is kind of like like pack a mama mentality in reference to something I saw in the chat. Let's get some more details, though. Quote, one of those coffins said, R.I.P. B word. Several items like cloths, candles, small statutes, a coffin, and a vase appeared to hold a dark liquid that says R.I.P. are sitting on the altar while the tabernacle remains hidden behind them. And the church's statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary looks down from atop the altar. A November 2nd statement from the Diocese of Brooklyn to CNA said that Bishop Brennan, quote, is appalled at what was filmed at Annunciation of the Blessed Virgin Mary Church in Brooklyn. The parish did not follow diocesan policy regarding the filming on church property, which includes a review of the scenes and script, the statement said. The parish reportedly told the diocese that the production company, quote, failed to accurately represent the video content, with the diocese adding that Brennan, quote, is taking this matter seriously and will be looking into it further. CNA reached out to the church's pastor, Monsignor Jamie Gigenteo, for comment, but did not receive a response before publication time. Mia Barnes, the director of the music video, also did not respond to a request for comment, end quote. And of course, they weren't going to re respond. <laughs> in fact, actually, this is all free advertisement for that video. This is why, actually, I think sharing that video in Catholic groups is a bad idea, and why I'm not going to show you anything from it, because you, you, you'll generate clicks for the video, which generates revenue for the record label and the artist, and then which, of course, helps promote the artist. So, you know, reporting on it's one thing, but showing clips, plus they're they're, they're scandalous enough that they're, it crosses a line. A subtle message? I don't know. I just think, I sometimes think the more simple answer is the right one. I think this is the, the simple answer here is that there is that this is somebody who thought they could take advantage of the church for their, you know, personal fame. And it just helps with the broader stuff going on in the culture, of course, but that they did it just for their own personal aggrandizement. Um, Mike, that's the only one, if you're having a, a comments issue, there's, that's the only one you've gotten, I've got, that's, I've gotten a couple from you. Oh, okay. Yeah. I see what you mean. There's, you, it's resending messages. Yeah. That happens sometimes on social media in general. Do I think money changed hands between the performer church? Yes. They probably would have had to pay to rent it. If you as a Catholic and, and member of your parish have to pay to rent your parish to, for your wedding, then they absolutely had to pay to rent the parish to film a music video in. And a lot of like older, what we call more stereotypically Catholic looking parishes, as opposed to the, you know, the church in the round modern abominations. Those older parishes, a lot of them do make some good money by allowing themselves to be used for TV and film. And as long as what's being filmed in there is fine, I don't really see a problem with that. But that's why there's policies at the parish and diocesan level for how you do it properly. Yeah, that story's going around, and I, I hope it's not the last we hear about this, that there's an apology, but there's not going to be an apology. The artist clearly doesn't think they did anything wrong and clearly doesn't respect the faith. I want to make a note here for why I keep my live streams so short, by the way, because I'm going to wrap this up shortly. It's because the um, I use StreamYards, which is a, uh, in fact, you'll, you see an overlay on your screen for it right now. StreamYard is a uh, broadcasting software that we use that um and the free version is what i use to uh and i only get 20 hours a month for free 
Otherwise, I have to pay $240 a year <laughs> to use it, which I'm thinking about forking out. But I, with the weird things I've hinted at going on on the channel in the last few days, I, you know, I'm not prepared to do that just yet. So that's why I keep things short so I can do as many live streams as possible. Because as I say in a video that I have to make for tomorrow, because of something huge that happened, some huge news that broke late last night. Uh, I have to do live streams practically almost every day now just to keep up with the news. So that's what we're doing. <laughs> um, Frank Pepper says, I hope if they misrepresented the video that the bishop sues them, meaning if they like really did bad things in the church. Yeah, I I don't know if that'll happen or not. But if they miss, if you mean like if they misrepresented what they're going to do in their video in the paperwork they filed, I mean, that could actually be cause for legal legal issues. Now, the thing is, who's going to win that? The the record label who will back their artist who has a much more, many more resources than the church, than the diocese there or the diocese. Especially since most of the high profile Catholic, Catholic legal outlets are focusing on like more big systemic sort of things going on right now. <laughs> Mike Rizzo's back. <laughs> yeah, every time you were on your other account, it was giving you like multiple things. It was really strange. Anyway, if there are any final questions, we can go over them now. Otherwise, I am going to uh, use my time sparingly. Thanks for tuning in today, folks. I have something from Fulton Sheen going live in about two hours. You should go check that out. Um, Uh, Jeep guy said, yeah, they're, they're doing some weird, Whole Foods is doing some weird things. <laughs> That's all I can say with their checkouts. They're, they're using cutting edge technology that looks a little bit like something out of Revelation. It, it it just does. It doesn't mean it is. Clearly it's not, but it it's probably helping build all that stuff that, will, that hopefully we won't see, but future Catholics will. Anyway. Checking out now because I got to seize my time sparingly. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Godspeed.